Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, as always. And today we are previewing the Pelicans' crucial home game with the Portland Trailblazers. And to help us do it, first of all, we've got editor-in-chief to thebirdrights.com, our friend and credentialed NBA writer, Mr. Ali Cosell. What's going on, dude? Hey, Preston. What's going on, buddy? Dude, how are you, man? I'm great, Mr. <laughs> Preston. <laughs> we've got eight <laughs> left in the regular season. Here we are still, like, actually paying attention to NBA basketball. It's I know nice. it's nice. it's magical as stressed as we've been just to be in this conversation right now has been. An- I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Absolute thrill. Uh, wondering where we're going to end up, which we could be anywhere from four to eight at this point, even three should the Trailblazers fall apart. And to talk about the Trailblazers falling apart, uh, which is not going to happen, I'm just teasing. <laughs> uh, from the best website dedicated to the Portland Trailblazers that I've managed to find, headed up by our good friend David McKay, it's Blazers Edge how do I say it? Blazers Edges contributing writer and third time guest Stephen DeWalt. Thank you for joining us, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on, fellas. And we better keep that Blazers falling apart talk to a minimum. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just teasing you. They, uh, of course, lost two games over the weekend, but they reconciled things with a victory over the Thunder. And we'll get into all that. Before we do, of course, you can follow him at Steve D Hoops and his website at Blazers Edge, where he contributes regularly. Steve, will you be live tweeting during the game? Um, I will do my best, but in the I'm not doing the recap tomorrow, so I usually try to dial in and enjoy it as much as a fan tomorrow, but I will be making an appearance, especially if something crazy happens like the brawl we had, or almost brawl we had the other day in the Oklahoma City game. Definitely. I just want to congratulate him again. He's got a four-month-old at home, so at any point in time, he might be watching the game and then have to run away from it based on how things are happening at home. Exactly. Uh, let's- Let's get right into this 45-28. Pretty comfortable positioning with a two and a half game lead in the loss column in the Western Conference right now. Even should the Pelicans pull the upset, the Blazers have a pretty soft schedule coming up. You guys have two contests with the bottom feeding Grizz. Uh, They're somewhere in the bottom three. And then you've got the Mavericks and the Nuggets in there. Uh, The Blazers are 20 and 15 on the road this season, 25 and 29 lifetime against the Pels, but they have lost the last three matchups in the Smoothie King Center. Before we get to the matchups, let's just start with the injury report we've got Evan Turner with the back and we've got a really interesting storyline with uh, Dame Lillard and his girlfriend can you tell us a bit about that so Dame has a flight on standby during this entire road trip to where his his girlfriend is overdue right now with his first child and uh, so it can kind of happen at any time and I mean there's some speculation that it could even happen at halftime if it's it's going to be happening that he'll be taken off so that's kind of looming over everybody's head. And then as far as Evan Turner goes, you know, he's kind of been struggling with some tightness and there was a wet spot on the floor against Oklahoma city that I think Terrence, Terrence Ferguson had had fallen there, I believe. And he slipped again and kind of tweaked his back all over again. And he didn't return to the game after that. So that's something to keep an eye on, especially with the Blazers uh, second unit already kind of struggling to lose a little depth could really hurt. Man, sometimes when I've had a long work week, I wish I had a private jet on standby to take me to Cancun. What about you, Ollie? Oh, my God. 
Preston, you and I both would love that so much. <laughs> uh, let's do uh, Ali's side before we get into this matchup. Of course, Rajon Rondo and Nikola Meritich, in a bit of a surprise, uh, took off Saturday night's game against the Houston Rockets, albeit it was the sixth game and eighth nights. And Rondo, uh, of course, was rested the week before against Houston. He's got a wrist that he suffered an injury against the Lakers. Nikola Meritich, not sure how that hit pointer happened, but uh, they're both listed as questionable for this one, uh, though Gentry expects them to play. Do you you know anything heading into this one do you expect them to play Ollie yeah I expect them both to play as well this was just more of a managing some of the Knicks and uh, you know small bruises the really smaller injuries that happen over the course of a season so you know Houston was kind of written off after that long uh, arduous schedule where the team played uh, a million games in about a million and one day so they will be back all right, great. Let's get back to the Blazers. Uh, the team had won 13 straight, as I said, before falling to the NBA's best in Houston. And then the crippled Celtics was a bit of a disappointment, but both of these were close contests that went down to the fourth quarter. And of course, I mentioned they reconciled things with that 108-105 victory over Oklahoma City. What is the state of the Blazers heading into this matchup with the Pell, Steve? I, I think this, I think that the Celtics game was a disappointment, but it was also a massive letdown after the streak ended against Houston and in such a close game. So that, I mean, it was a classic trap game. I think the Oklahoma city game is more indicative of how the end of that winning streak was where this team was finding ways to win with their wings. Uh, Al Farouk Aminu and Maurice Harkless have been playing really well. Maurice Harkless is playing some of his best basketball in a Blazers uniform again. And so that's been a huge difference. Um, the Pelicans game is huge, but the Pelicans are are uniquely equipped to give the Blazers a lot of problems uh, on the defense or on the offensive end. Jeru uh, Holiday is is someone who doesn't get enough credit as a defender. I mean, he's gotten a little bit more more praise on Twitter. It looks like recently, but him and AD will really make it tough for the Blazers in the pick and roll, which is really their bread and butter to kind of get guys going in the first half. Yeah, Steve, uh, Ali, I'll, I'll throw this over to you. Uh, like he mentioned, the Pelicans have been a unique matchup for the, the Portland Trailblazers. And before we get into that specifically, because this could be a potential playoff seeding, uh, we mentioned six games in eight days. Of course, they do have a nice break right now, three days rested. But against Houston, they looked super lethargic, uh, especially on the offensive end. Uh, what kind of Pelicans do you think, what kind of Pelican team, I should say, do you think we'll see on Tuesday night in, in a game that should have a playoff atmosphere from the tip? We're going to get the team that before that game was 16 and four since their, uh, you know, Brooklyn massacre where they went on that 10 game winning streak shortly after uh, or shortly before the all-star break press. And they needed a break, man. Everything I heard is these guys were on fumes. And if you're going, you know, 24, 25, 26 and you're on fumes, that says a lot. So expect two full days off to be um, just huge because uh, the Pelicans did not practice. They, uh, this is one of the, few if maybe the only time that I can recall where they've had two days off um, in between games where they just didn't practice didn't do anything so they won't do anything on the court again until tomorrow morning shoot around a nice a good healthy break and they need it uh, specifically after those three games and three nights uh, those guys barely managed to hold on but did go four and one in those uh, six days uh, let's get back to Stephen and we'll, we'll talk about a little playoff seating later you guys are probably locked in at that three spot but right now we mentioned Damian Lillard possibly not being available on this one based on what happens medically and personally for him but aside from him of course you guys have had some great play out of Yusuf Nurkic and CJ McCollum has been dynamite in the fourth quarter lately I think he had four 14 fourth quarter points against the Thunder. He almost single-handedly uh, led the team back uh, with a victory over the Celtics. Uh, if, if Damian Lillard's kind of the train that like drives the Portland Trailblazers, CJ McCollum has kind of been like the conductor that takes them into the station at this point. Tell us about like the fourth quarter heroics of CJ McCollum right now. And if it's something the Pelicans should be prepared to see. I, I mean, CJ has, has been dynamite in, a, in several games this year. The, the problem with CJ with me is, is if he's not scoring, he's not as useful as Lillard is. He's not as equipped to get to the line or, or help out and get his teammates involved. But that being said, I mean, it's been great the last few games. Um, last night or two nights ago when this airs against Oklahoma City, he, uh, he did a really well, good job of kind of countering how the Thunder were trying to take away certain options from him. So they, the, Thunder started switching on screens, and if he had a bigger defender, he was able to kind of weave around him to get the shot, mid-range shot he wanted. And if it was a smaller guy on him, I mean, he was attacking the basket each time. So it's 
he's so dangerous, especially when teams have to focus on the on guys like Yusuf Nurkic, on Maurice Harkless, and Al Farouk Aminu. And I mean, you always have to pay attention to Lillard, even when he's you know 0 for six from the three point line. So when that court opens up, CJ is perfectly perfectly able to to really make teams pay in the mid range. All right, I'm going to ask this question of both of you because Zach Collins has been so good offensively and Yusuf Nurkic, of course, has been well on that end as well. But this is a, a good matchup for the Pelicans and that Anthony Davis being their best player uh, is probably going to enjoy a pretty good one, uh, a pretty good uh, successful showing in this one. He scored 36 points and nine rebounds in their last contest. But aside from him, Ali, the, the Pelicans will have another interesting choice and they've they've kind of gone different ways in this terms of choice based on what Gentry has been seeing. And I'm talking about the minute distribution between Czech Diallo, Nikola Meritich, and Emeka Okafor. Uh, against these guys, these Zach Collins, these Yusuf Nurkic, these guys who who put in a lot of points, where do you see Gentry go in terms of matchups beyond AD? Well, it's going to come down to if Meritich can handle a big workload, which I think we have to assume he can. So you got to think that he's going to see the vast majority of playing time amongst that three. So upwards of, you know, 30 minutes or more. But uh, Sheik Diallo is going to be the wild card because he's been playing really, really well. And I think that with all these uh, quick-moving forwards that Portland's got, you know, Amino, Mo Harkless, and then, as you mentioned, Collins. Um, and, Ed, you know, you can't discount Ed Davis, what he does on the offensive rebound. You need that type of energy on the court. And, of course, for the Pelicans, Diallo is really the only guy that's able to bring it. Now, Mick Okafor has been great. He's been fantastic. So he's going to get – I'm foreseeing, you know, the starters' minutes – or, I'm, excuse me, not starters' minutes, but he's just going to start with the starters in both the first quarter and the third quarter. But that might be it for him because I really think they'll go a little bit smaller and then uh, Gentry will, you know, just stick with A.D., Miritich, and Diallo for the rest of the game. All right, let's talk about the bench with Steven because you guys famously struggled against Oklahoma City, just putting up eight points. Of course, your starters were incredible, racing out to big leads in the first and third quarter. But in the second and fourth quarter, you guys really struggled, and Oklahoma City was able to bridge the gap. What's been going so wrong for your bench recently? I, I think one thing is Shabazz Napier is is a guy that you can't discount how good of a year he's been having. And he's so crucial to what that second unit does. And he's been dealing with basically – the equivalent of what an NFL player's turf toe is. And so last night was his first game back for a couple, from a couple games off. And if he's clicking, he really adds a whole different dimension to that second unit, which usually has CJ McCollum in it. So it allows CJ to stay at that two guard spot and not handle the ball all the time if he doesn't want to. So that's been big. I think Zach Collins has come back down to earth a little bit on the offensive end. He was, you know, hitting corner threes, and you're really making people pay in a pick and pop game. And that's slowed down a little bit, but I mean, all he touched on it, Ed, Ed Davis is a guy who's the workhorse for the second unit. And he had, I would say probably the, his worst game of the season against Oklahoma city. So it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back. And I'm really excited to watch him play against Czech Diallo because I think they're, there are two players that are very similar, and I'm interested to see how, how that, how that works out, especially on the, on the glass, because, Portland's offensive rebounding is crucial when for that second unit, if baskets aren't going in second chance points are the, are the best way that Portland can make up those gaps. And the backcourt test is going to be a big one uh, as well. Ollie, of course, uh, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. We've talked a good bit about them. Rajon Rondo, uh, we mentioned earlier, rested against uh, the Rockets twice. And it's been interesting to see the minutes distribution between he and Ian Clark. Of course, Rajon Rondo kind of gets the offense going. And we saw how the offense suffered without him in that contest against Houston. But defensively, uh, how, how much of a workload do you think Alvin Gentry offers him against CJ McCollum? and Damian Lillard, or do you think he pairs them with the bench a great deal? You know, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> and, of course, I think it's going to all depend on which Rondo we get. If he's out there um, pushing the pace in the Pelicans' offense is flowing, expect him to get his share of usual minutes of, you know, say around 28, because no matter what he brings defensively, as long as the offense is scoring, as long as one end of the floor is successful with Rondo on the court, Gentry seems to go ahead and give him close to, if not, starters minutes. So, that's going to be key. As for who he's going to guard, personally, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be out there on Mo Harkless or something. They're going to try and stick him on a guy in the wing, but he's going to make damn sure he's, you know, preventing cuts, making sure he's uh, boxing people out because an Amino, a Harkless, you know, they tower over him both athletically and size-wise. So he, he's got to still be able to work, you know, do something out there defensively because you can't see him staying with either Dame or CJ. You know Holiday's going to get 
probably draw the assignment on Lillard, you've got to think. And then, of course, Etuan Moore has always taken usually the second hardest wing player, uh, wing assignment, I should say. So, I don't know, Preston, that's a great question. It's going to be all up to Rondo, man. And as you know, it, it changes from game to game what, what we get from him. And Al Farouk Amino, we're going to transition back to Anthony Davis now, uh, now that we've got the backcourt out of the way. Stephen, Al Farouk Aminu, uh played really well against James Harden the other night, bodying him up. And uh, I, I saw James Harden do two successive flops on the same posi- uh, <laughs> on the same possession, but Amino just had such great position. Of course, no, no foul was called. Uh, some Anthony Davis, if he's had struggles at all this season, it hasn't been particularly against strong body defenders. It's been more guys with length. Uh, you've got Al Farouk Aminu, who's got a big wing, wingspan. He's somewhere around 6'8". Maurice Harkless uh, has been dynamite from the corner, three-point range spot up. Uh, he's got some length. Of course, you've got Ed Davis, the the, the power guy. Uh, he's probably going to eat Yusuf Nurkic and uh, Zach Collins for lunch. Who do you think draws the assignment for much of this game against AD? I, I, I think it's going to be Alfred Camino. I think most of the time, I mean, he usually draws the the KD straw when we play against Golden State or when the Blazers play against Golden State. And I, I think it'll be similar when the Pelicans come in. I, I just don't think Zach Collins has the body yet to to guard a guy like AD. Nurkic can't come out to the perimeter on him. And, you know, Davis could, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of that, but I wouldn't expect, expect to see it for extended minutes. I think if Al Farouk Aminu can stay out of foul trouble, he's going to play a bunch of minutes and probably mirror every time Anthony Davis is on the court. Okay. Uh, Ali, the last time these two played back to the backcourt thing, we held Dame and CJ to 18 of 43. Do you think the Pelicans have something figured out or do you think these guys were just having off shooting nights? I think they were off. I mean, you know, it seems like in this day and age, the great offensive players, they were going to get theirs as long as they're kind of on. And Damian Lillard has just been literally on fire for like the last couple months. I know last couple weeks or so, and Stephen, I'm sure you can attest to this, he hasn't been as hot. He's had a couple of those games. Like, for instance, I watched that Thunder game. He didn't hit his first three-pointer until very late. I think he went, what, one for seven or something in that game. So his shot hasn't been there like it had been the previous two months. But he's still playing at an all-MVP type of, you know, caliber level. So, Preston, to answer your question, no. I feel like the Pelicans, honestly, well, at least in two of the three matchups this season, have kind of gotten a sub-par performances out of a combined Lillard and McCollum. Um, I think in one of – maybe it was the first game where McCollum went off in the fourth quarter and led the, the uh, Portland Trailblazers to a win. But other than that, these guys really haven't, you know, put forth that dynamic game from uh, start to finish. So it's got me a little concerned. <laughs> Uh, this one's more just for fun, Steve. Uh, obviously, if, if you look at the schedules of all the teams that are locked in this battle right now, the Thunder, the Spurs, the Wolves, the Jazz, and the Pelicans, uh, the Jazz have kind of a soft schedule, and they could end somewhere around five. The Thunder are currently slated at four. The Wolves, without Jimmy Butler, at least to the playoffs, and the Spurs. Uh, it, it could end up in any scenario. However, like I, I kind of think that the Pelicans are probably going to end up somewhere around that sixth spot, which would match them up with the Portland Trailblazers. Among those teams... Who do you think is the team that you would most like to face in the first round? And who was the least likely you'd like to face? Um, I, I kind of have an unpopular opinion, especially it's a, our Slack channel for Blazers Edge argues about this frequently. I, I'm in the firm camp of I want nothing to do with the Utah Jazz in the playoffs. They have that defense and their length is a complete nightmare for the Blazers. And I and the say the third option is Yusuf Nurkic, and you're not really going to dump it into him with Rudy Gobert down there. So I definitely don't want him. For personal reasons, I would love to host Lamarcus Aldridge in the opening round of the playoffs here in Portland. I think that would be a very exciting thing for the city. And yes, Popovich does scare me. And you know who knows? I mean, the Kawhi situation doesn't sound good right now, but it could be one of those. Th- it'd be the most Spurs thing ever if he just came back for the playoffs. So <laughs> that, that's kind of that's kind of my my take on it. Um, yeah, I Great really answer, just Stephen. I love it. Think. Go ahead. No, Stephen. You, I, I, who's who? Who wants to play the Utah Jazz? Because I've got to ask all of us. You know, at the Bird Rights, we talk amongst ourselves, and Utah Jazz are right there at the top of the list that nobody wants to see. So I'm glad that you're saying that, but I'm curious why you, whoever is uh, saying that would be a good matchup, why they think they could beat you know, the Jazz, because they've been playing amazing ball. So if you want to take it up with the Chief, I want the Utah Jazz person at Blazer's Edge. You can go ahead and follow him at Brian Freeman 24 
and he he uh, just throw him some shade because he he likes to think that since Ricky Rubio and some of these guys haven't gone into deep water in the playoffs that there'll be a pushover. But if anything, that defense is only going to get better in, in the postseason, in my opinion. It's interesting because there's so many question marks, not just with seeding, but with these superstars like Kawhi Leonard, like Steph Curry, like Jimmy Butler. If these guys aren't available for the first round of playoffs, anything could happen. It could be a shocking turn of events. Uh, let's let's get back. One more question before I let you guys go, uh, before we get to predictions and such. Of course, the Pelicans, Ali, uh, we, we've talked to death about pace and about how fast the Pelicans have been since the All-Star break. However, the Blazers have been a bit slower. They're the fifth uh, defensive rated team in the NBA. They've got the 19th rated pace. How important do you think it is for the Pelicans to push early? Very important, Preston, because I feel like for the Pelicans, not only is their offense predicated on just outscoring opponents, their defense performs better when it's more helter-skelter. Because let's face it, these guys, our, our um, backcourt is not <laughs> very long. Outside of Drew Holiday, who has, uh, you know, I, I guess like a 6'7 wingspan on a 6'4 body, everybody else, Rajon Ron each one more, they're almost always undersized on whoever they're guarding. So whenever we're matched up against a slow-plotting team, the Pelicans really struggle because that, you know, opponents, you know, especially Joe Ingles from Utah Jazz and, uh, I'm trying to think of another good example. But anyways, they'll, they'll butcher. Oh, M- M- Minnesota got Andrew Wiggins and um, Jimmy Butler. They just completely devoured the Pelicans. They would just simply find a mismatch and destroy us. So the Pelicans' best bet is to, you know, like I said, create a chaotic environment where it's basically everything's being played in transition. And that's where the Pelicans succeed because they've got speed on the court. They have good hands. They will force turnovers when the pace of the game goes up. So, yeah, pace is everything, Preston. I, I need to look into the data, but it seems like any time the Pelicans surpass their average pace on the season, I think they win about 66% of those games. So, yeah, it's a big deal. And Ali predicted a win, I want to say, on Thursday night against the Lakers when he correctly, uh, very astutely mentioned that the Pelicans are something like 17-0 and 0 when they score more than 120 points. Is that right? It was 110 points. Oh, 100. They're 17-0 and 0 when they score more than 110 points? Yeah, now you're confusing. No, or was it 115? I think it was 121, but uh, we'll we'll check on that after and make sure we okay. get that right. Maybe it was 120. Then you're right. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. I, I think it was that. But Steve, let's let's go back to pace because I know the the Blazers have been a bit slower this year than they have been in years past. Uh, they're just scoring something like 106 points per game. They're holding their opponent to something like 103. Do you think the Blazers try to slow this one down? I I think it comes down to how the cross matchups go. And I think the games where they try to slow it down are the games where you're really trying to hide Damien or CJ because it's, it's hard to make those adjustments in transition. Whereas when you play the Pelicans, I could see the backcourt for the Blazers guarding, you know, holiday and more straight up. And I, I think this team is not afraid to engage in a team that wants to run, but if they're if they're if Holiday gets hot and they try to hide a guard or hide put Harkless on him and try to create a cross matchup on the other end, I could see them definitely trying to slow things down. But it, it all comes down to how good Nurkic is playing too. If Nurkic is reliably scoring in the post, I think they'd probably go the slow route. All right. Thank you so much. This is Stephen DeWald of Blazers Edge. Again, follow him at Steve D Hoops or at Blazers Edge where you can get most of his content. A wonderful site. I always enjoy doing research on you guys' site before we have upcoming games. You guys do a really great job. And I've been, I think I've been talking to Steve dating back to my time at Pelican Debrief. This is at least the third time that we've talked. Uh, always does a great job. Steve, before I let you go, uh, let's get a prediction. Obviously, this game means everything to the Pelicans. What do you think it means to the Blazers? And what do you think transpires? Hey, real quick first, I got to give you a shout out, Preston, for writing a great article on one of my most feared Blazers boogeymen is Ian Clark. That was great work you did there. I enjoyed that article immensely. He is someone that terrifies me. He regularly torched the Blazers when he played for Golden State. Now, that being said, I think the Blazers, I think the Blazers keep things going. I think, I think they kind of, Oklahoma City was a wake up call. I think Shabazz Napier has got that game under under his belt, and I think the second unit's going to come to play. I think it'll be a tight one. I think it'll go down to the very end. But I, I'm thinking somewhere in the range of 108, 105-ish, match the score from Oklahoma City. And, Steve, before we let you go, is there anything you'd like to plug or like our fans to check out in advance of Tuesday's game? 
Um, just, you know, where to find me on Twitter. Um, I will have a bunch of content for the draft coming up. That's kind of my, my thing that I enjoy more than covering games. So if you want to know about the prospects here in the next couple of months, I will be doing a bunch of draft profiles and the Pelicans will probably, you guys have your first round pick this year. Uh, no, we don't. We gave it up for Nicola Meritician uh, dumping Omar Ashik, Jameer Nelson, and Tony Allen. Dumping a sheik was definitely worth it. So, yeah. but if if you were there, we'd be in the same draft range. But if you want to make believe that you guys still are in the draft, <laughs> my, my content. Again, we'd always like even we're used to not having draft picks in your. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, we went through a few of those years ourselves. All right, Stephen, thank you for your time. We're going to go over to Ali now. Uh, first of all, let's get your prediction, Ali. And then we've got some mailbag stuff I'd like to address with you. Uh, like I just mentioned to Steve, the Pelicans got to have this one. Do you think they get it? Yes, I do, buddy. I think that we're going to surpass that 108-105 mark Stephen said pretty easily. Um, I, I foresee both teams actually getting over 110. Let's call it you know, 119 to 115. Of course, it's going to come down to the wire because the Pelicans don't know how to beat at or blow out a team anymore. They got to make everything interesting, it seems like. So I'm expecting their legs to be there. You know, Preston, I'm expecting Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis to come out like gang bucks, gangbusters, excuse me. Rondo's going to leave his mark as to where he's going to, you know, go for 10, 12 assists. So the pace will be there. The scoring will be there. And it's just going to then come down to who's going to add, you know, the points um, from the bench. Is it going to be Ian Clark, Nikola Miritich? And uh, what will Eton Moore provide? But amongst those guys, and Darius, Darius Miller, you got to think that at least a couple of them, combined with Cheek Diallo's energy in an open, wide open game, you know, I'm just giving it to the Pelicans. They've just been really good, especially in clutch moments. And, you know, this one's shaping up to be another one that will go down the wire. So you got to go with the, the hot team at the end of games, and that's the Pels. Let me ask you this, Ali. Uh, obviously, we've got to get Solomon Hill uh, into the rotation, build up his minutes more and more. If we do get, manage to get uh, to the playoffs against the Trailblazers or whoever we face, he's he's going to need that confidence under his belt. However, I'm not sure that this is a great matchup for him as the Blazers don't have a lot of prolific scoring on the wings. Uh, of course, with that being said, I'm sure Aminu's going to come out and score 20 points against us, and Mo Harkless is going to drain every three that he takes. Uh, Evan Turner is probably going to be pr- pretty limited in this one. I think he only managed like four 14 minutes uh that might be a good matchup for Solomon Hill but if if Turner's not on the court where do you see Solomon Hill fitting yeah that's a good question I think you know the Blazers like to run out some a couple of big wings so whenever Harkless and Amino are out there together I would expect Hill to be out there um he he, he needs to start coming out and playing against matchups as you alluded to come playoff time he's going to see so he's going to be out there uh, not when uh, Portland starts out the game. I don't, you know, he, I don't know if we're going to even see him back in the starting line for the rest of the regular season. But yeah, when Harkless comes um, in the game and uh, say it's a lineup of Harkless, Collins, and Amino, something like that, then you want to see Hill out there. But when it's like Lillard, McCollum, and Napier, like three small guards, no, no way. So yeah, I mean, Gentry's got, you know, the biggest thing, pressing, he's got options now. And I think that's the thing we need to key on. He, you know, starts with a smaller team. Of course, we've got a smaller starting lineup, and then he rides them. And then if, if Pelicans get off the bad starts, he starts, you know, right around the six-minute mark, he starts making changes. And it's usually a couple players, whether it's Rondo and Moore or Rondo and Emeka. But that that's when we could possibly see more, or excuse me, Hill come in at that point if, uh, if say, the Blazers get off to a hot start. So, you know, it's just a roll of the dice. Preston Gentry's been playing it. Um, you know, game to game seemingly. He, and his gut instinct, I feel like, has done really a great job this season. He hasn't stuck to a typical rotation. And, you know, I think the Pelicans have thrived like that, you know, just playing off the wins and the gut instincts of the coach. So, um, you know, he just expect more of the same, I guess. I know it's not the right answer or, or, or the exact answer, I should say, but, you know, that's the best we got because that's how Gentry has been coaching this season. So, you know, it's a toss-up, buddy. No, whatever he's been doing this year has been working. We're two and one, and should we manage to get this one, we have the tiebreaker. Not that it'll probably matter. The Pelicans, even if they manage to win this one, just a game and a half back, and uh, that could be come two games as the Blazers have one more game to play than the Pelicans do. Um, I, I just want to continue on this train of thought just because I'm a little bit interested in it. Of course, the, the Blazers with Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless, those wings are such good rebounders. They're top five in the NBA in rebounding, top 10 in offensive rebounds, and Darius Miller and Solomon Hill are not that great at rebounding 
rebounding. So this could be a spot where, like you said, if Meritage is healthy, he gets more time. Emeka Okafor potentially gets more time. Cech Diallo potentially gets more time. Do you think there's any possibility that rather than like, I don't know, getting someone like Ian Clark and Etwan more minutes at the three and, and Solomon Hill, that the Pelicans might go a bit bigger? No, I don't think so. Uh, Preston, how many games has it been that we've had this rotation? Yeah, it's only been about like three or four that he's um, had Miritich Diallo and say Davis or Mecca out there at the same time. We've rarely seen it. And since Portland always plays smaller and they're a quick team, there's no, there's no way. I don't see that happening at all. All right, let's get to some mailbag questions. That was an interesting one. Uh, you said of Rajan Rondo on Al Farouk Aminu. So you think Etwan Moore probably gets the responsibility of CJ McCollum early on? Yeah. All right, cool. Let's get to some mailbag questions. We've got some good stuff from John T, M. Tuman, Tejeda, and Lana Duvall. Thank you guys so much. You guys are really consistent with the stuff, and we appreciate uh, having some stuff to talk about. It makes it easy. I don't have to do anything. I can just make Ollie do all the work. <laughs> uh, let's let's start with Tejeda because this one uh, is a bit more directly involved with playoffs and what we're talking about right now. And some of his questions are, what is the biggest concern going into the playoffs? Uh, and he's alluding to the fatigue that the Pelicans might be suffering at this point. And also in terms of uh, rebounding, something that I was just mentioning. And then what storyline in the, actually, I'll just, I'll just stick with that one first, and then we'll transition to the second one. So your biggest concern uh, just involving the Pelicans heading into the playoffs. Tejeda's a smart man, and I'm. that's my next article, big article I'm working on, is minutes. We've got Drew Holiday, each one more, Anthony Davis. They're all surpassed uh, what they've played in recent seasons, and I'm talking about minutes. These guys, I don't know how they're doing it, but I've heard, you know, just from talking to either assistant coaches or just people familiar with the team or on the floor during practice and warm-ups, you know, our guys are tired. There's no doubt about it. Um, I've been hearing that phrase, uh, heavy legs, you know, associated with a lot of our guys. And it's kind of obvious. I mean, I think Darius Miller's kind of hitting a wall too. So pressing it's minutes. That is by far the scariest thing, because if we're not a hundred percent, if, if our players don't feel like they're operating in peak form as to where say Miller or more, and they can't get that lift they normally have on their jumpers. Um, then like say Drew Holiday doesn't have that explosiveness or even maybe AD, God forbid, I don't know if we'd even notice if he turns it down a notch or two. Uh, but still, w- when you combine all this, when all these guys are suddenly playing all these minutes after having such a long season and a successful one, you got to think that mentally our players have also, you know, kind of been drained by everything because it's been like a playoff atmosphere around the team ever since Boogie went down, if you ask me. People wrote off the team. Then they had that four, what was it, four losses in five games. And now they've completely turned it around, but they're, you know, they're coming so hard every night. We're not complaining about lack of energy, lack of uh, effort. It's, it's, I don't know, Preston, it's, it's minutes, man. I'm scared to death and I don't want to talk about it. And it's like a, a redheaded stepchild or something, you know, but it, it's a legitimate, legitimate gripe. So I'm going to pu- publish something about, but yeah, it, it's minutes. I'm going to go the other way. I know that these guys are top 10 in minutes played, and they both were last year as well. Uh, Drew Holiday's played every game this year except for one, and that was uh, against uh, – I think he he was held out due to the flu against the Mavericks uh, just last week. Anthony Davis has played in 67 of, uh, I want to say, 75 or 74 games, so he's on pace to have another 75-game season. Uh, like I said, leading the league in minutes played – and these guys are still playing at a high clip, uh, albeit from the – you have to remove the Houston Rockets game from that conversation. Mm-hmm. But but Anthony Davis has been – I mean, if you play the entire season the way he's played the previous two months, he's the MVP. I, I think you can't argue that, can you? No, you're absolutely right. The other game, you, of course, you got tossed is the Washington game where they were yeah. without AD. So, yeah, this Houston game and this Washington game, you get rid of that. The Pels are 16-3, and three, you know, since that Brooklyn win. Um, they're playing like gangbusters. And you're right, AD's been like uh, like an MVP. Drew Hoddick, you know, we, we don't we haven't talked about him enough today, but he he's been playing at an all star level at this during the same period as AD's been that all in MVP type guy. So yeah. 
Yeah, McNamara mentioned his uh, his struggles in the past four games. Uh, I just chalk that up to fatigue and to the flu. I think he's going to bounce back in a big way in this contest. He he plays the Blazers pretty well. Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum, while all all star level players, they're they're not somebody capable of keeping Drew Holiday, in my opinion, under twenty points. My big concern heading into the playoffs is I think Rajon Rondo is so crucial in making this team go. And obviously, the Pelicans had the opportunity to beat the Rockets last Saturday. You could argue without some. Uh, questionable officiating they might have had that game but but if you look at these top four seeds uh the 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 potential teams that the pelicans are going to be facing potentially uh you've got russell westbrook of course you could uh hide rishon rondo against uh, terrence ferguson that would probably be uh, a likely or a good matchup for him i should say but against against the blazers against the rockets against the warriors should steph curry be healthy there just doesn't seem to be a lot of room to play rishon rondo would you agree with that yeah, it's not ideal, Preston, but they have to. You know what I mean? I don't think there's a question of whether they can or not. They just have to because Rondo has been by far the ringleader of this offense when DeMarcus Cousins has not been on the floor. Um, Drew Hawley is not the guy that's going to push the pace. You know, the Pelicans don't get those easy baskets if Rondo's not on court, and that's very important to the Pelicans' um, success. Real quick, Preston, I just wanted to say, you said something about McNamara saying something about Drew Hawley being off for four games. I don't know about you, but in that Laker game, he was near perfect. He made 12 or 16 shots, and I thought he was sublime. So just have to say that out there. It's not like Drew Holiday's been in a funk of any kind, I think. I like that word, sublime. Nicely done. Uh, The reason that I primarily brought up Rondo was one just to, like, spark a a debate, but more so because we've got questions from M2 and Atlanta Duvall on Rajon Rondo. Uh, He's always a a big topic of conversation among fans, I feel like. And M2's comment was, when Rondo sits, as he did first Houston, and Drew reverts, and he's, uh, I guess, referring to Drew Holiday going back to the point guard and seemingly struggle to to be a ball-dominant player, point guard we've seen how effective he can be off the ball although the numbers can say that with drew at point guard and anthony davis on the floor that they've been spectacular together but i think all of his it's 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 hard to qualify this because you can't statistically prove that rajon rondo makes drew holiday more confident but just by watching the games i think having rondo out on the court or at least on the bench in his playing uniform i feel like that gives drew holiday the confidence to just play his game and relax and, and let everything come to him but his question is uh going on my tangent AD has been asked to initiate a lot on his own without Rajon Rondo, and we kind of look lost offensively, as you were just mentioning. Are are we doomed without a real playmaker? And I don't know what he means by that because I think he's referring to Rajon Rondo as the playmaker. Uh, maybe he's saying that in the playoffs, when you've got just Drew Holiday struggling to create his own offense, and you've kind of just got Anthony Davis going one-on-one basketball, do you think the offense will still being will still be as efficient as it's been in the regular season? It depends on the opponent. That's why I am preaching and praying it's not the Utah Jazz. Because, Preston, they will make us run half-court offense, let's say, 85 90% of that game. Uh, same thing with Minnesota and uh, Thibodeau. So that's why I think matchup is everything for the Pelicans. Without playing these teams that really slow it down, they can, like I was mentioning earlier, make that chaotic environment to where you can get away with not having Rondo out there. That's where you have an outlet pass. And you've got each one more, Drew Holiday, somebody streaking up the court and you hit them in stride. And that's how you lead to easy offense. And then you've got trailers or you've got AD streaking down the court. But if that's taken away, then, yeah, you're playing a half-court offense. And the only player it seems like that can get our guys consistently in the right place, give them the ball, you know, where they like to shoot it, you know, from their holster, everything. Rondo's the only guy. I mean, outside of Drew Holiday, pick and rolls with AD. And um, Drew, can occasionally throw that cross-court pass to an open shooter. But other than that, no, it, it puts a lot more pressure on the team. And I feel like our offense would suffer significantly if we have to slow it down. And you know what? In the playoffs, they eventually do because you play so many games. Um, coaches suddenly can just focus on the matchup. So the teams get to know each other really well. So it's invariably going to slow down a little bit. Uh, you just have to hope that that's why I've been saying I would love to see somebody with a high pace for the Pels. That's going to mean everything for our team and our success or our chances for success on moving to that second round. Ali, you're not doing Dell Demps any favor, uh, any favors right now with how much you're supporting Rajon Rondo, uh, who, of course, is a free agent. This is a question from Landon Duvall. He says, will the Pelicans re-sign Rondo? And if they do, is that the right decision? And, of course, just to give a little background on what the Pelicans' salary cap situation is, uh, with without the guaranteed contracts, uh, you mentioned that it was $123 million in in my article that I wrote last week. 
And uh, they just don't have any flexibility. They're probably going to either trade away a Jinsa for a second round uh, with a second round pick to offload his $5 million contract, or possibly more likely, they're just going to waive him and stretch him. And that'll have some kind of uh, penalty of like 1 million they'll save for against the cap. That'll get them right under the floor, but they still have to make another move just to be able to utilize their mid-level exception. And the way you're talking about Rajon Rondo, it might take a full mid-level to bring him back. Oh, I don't think so. I mean, if it doesn't, you've got to say goodbye to him because he's not worth paying, you know, I mean, six to eight million, depending on the mid-level that the Pelicans do utilize. Um, but you just said he's he's critical to our offense, uh, specifically. He is critical, Preston, but I mean, let's face it, he's the only legitimate point guard that's entrusted with performing pace. Now, you give us an offseason, maybe Dell Dems can work some magic find, you know, some gem, maybe trade for somebody. You know, it's it's an entirely different scenario. But one thing I, I want to say about Rondo is why I'm a little more optimistic, too, because you know what? We're at the end of March now. And you know what's next? April and the playoffs. This is when Rondo starts to shine. And I know it, it sounds hollow or maybe it's some kind of narrative, but you know what? It rings true almost every year. Ever since he's left Boston after his ACL injury, Rondo always performs best when his teams are in it. Outside of that, Dallas, excuse me, i got to throw that exclam- uh, exclaimer in because, yeah, in Dallas, he was a total train wreck. But, hey, that was a Rick Carlisle marriage that was never meant to work. But, no, Rondo's entering his prime. That's why I'm so hopeful and optimistic why we're going to see a lot of minutes out of him. Because with Rondo, when you watch him day in, day out, it, it's just a matter of focus with the guy. There's just been certain games, especially earlier in the year, where he just didn't have it. When he, like, for instance, his defensive assignments, he would just, you know, trail the guy off of picks, off of anywhere, be like two, three feet behind him. He wasn't giving forth that effort. And then he was always calling switches. I don't know if you remember this, but I don't know how many times he'd be, like, yelling switch, and our guys, like, whoever he's yelling to wouldn't react. So suddenly his man, his original assignment, is scoring up layups. But we haven't seen that in about a month now, especially not consistently. So... I just feel like Rondo's hitting that gear, his playoff gear. He's just built for the playoffs. So for the rest of this season, I'm not too worried about his output. He'll have a clunker or two, but he'll be fine. But yeah, Preston, as far as resigning him, and I want you to voice your opinion too, but I think it's critical, Pelicans, because the locker room has been, bar none, the best one I've ever seen or heard about since Anthony Davis's tenure here. Um, that says a lot. When every player loves to play with the guy next to him, that's something you want to keep. That's something special. Um, that's something the Pelicans have not enjoyed. So even though Rondo probably has driven the coaches, you know, even his teammates crazy at times, overall, when you're winning, when you're in the playoffs and you're enjoying success, you just have to keep that going. And for the Pelicans, you can't get choosy because they haven't had that guy. They've missed out on playoffs in five of AD's six years, um, or excuse me, four or five, he's going to make it in the six years. So, yeah, I mean, I don't unless some, you know, gem comes walking in Del Demp's door, <laughs> you know, it's going to be probably Rajon Rondo again. And you got to just hope it's going to be a very team-friendly contract. Yeah, he could definitely hold them over the barrel if he wants, not just for all the reasons you just said, but I'm, I'm just taking a look at the free agent list. Of course, the, the, the Pelicans could venture into trade waters if they wanted to offload somebody like uh, an Etuan Moore that's probably a pretty movable contract. But man, it's it's sparse when you when you get past Chris Paul and Tony Parker and Isaiah Thomas. I mm-hmm. mean, Devin Harris, Dante Exum, Alfred Payton, MCW, Jared Jack, Jose Calderon, Raymond Felton, Jameer Nelson, Aaron Brooks. Uh, this is a list where point guards go to die. Uh, so there's there's just not a whole lot of flexibility beyond him. Fred Van Fleet is is one that's intriguing, but I just think whatever the Pelicans gave him, the the Raptors would probably be uh, hesitant to let him go. They would probably be more inclined to match that one. Um, all right, let's. One thing we got to talk talk about real quick too, and touch on is the fact that remember this is a Chris Finch offense, and we're going to have Boogie back most likely next season. So it, his type of offense just runs through playmakers. You know, you're going to get the ball to them, and they're going to make the decision whether they're going to score or pass it. So a typical floor general is not necessary. It's only now when Boogie's gone down that uh, Rondo's become a lot more uh, useful and, and necessary to the team's success. Yeah, everything's just been working, but we have to be careful about what we say because people are going to listen to this and think that we're saying that the Pelicans are better without Boogie, and we just want to be absolutely oh, crystal clear. No. <laughs> uh, it's it's just a different. It just seems like all the gears are working in an offense and a system that Alvin Gentry prefers. 
But with that being said, great players win these playoff series. In, in the regular season, it's a different animal altogether. When you get to the fourth quarter of a, of a game five in a first round playoff series, uh, it becomes that mano and mano basketball that we all hate to watch in the regular season. But in playoffs, it's just electric to watch Damian Lillard in the final two minutes of a game take somebody off the dribble. And that's that's sometimes the way you have to score in the playoffs. And that's 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 a big element uh, or, or, or time where we will potentially miss DeMarcus Cousins depending on the matchup, specifically the Blazers. Oh, my God. I think DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, the two of their powers combined. Uh, how how do you think we fare against the Blazers if we had two of those Giants in there? Oh, they'd eat them alive. Nurkic has never – I've never seen Nurkic have even, like, a good three-minute stretch against either one of our guys, you know. He's just – he's slower. He plays a different style. He plays kind of like a European style where he likes to bang, but not so much. He likes to rely more on trickery. Um just, just like a very flow type of offensive player and on defense, he really just doesn't want to guard you all that much. You know, he's not a renowned defender. He'll he'll block some shots. He'll do enough pressing to where he's like considered an all around player. But when when he's when matched up against an all NBA type, he he just doesn't have the talent to succeed. And let's let's move on because we could talk about this forever. But this is something still in the same vein. It's a question from Tejeda. What storyline is the most interesting to you? Example, you know, Cat versus AD uh, revenge mashups against Houston. And this is why mm. I say this. I think the Blazers are the best possible matchup for the Pelicans because of Anthony Davis and the success that he's going to have against this team. Like you said, he can play Nurkic and Zach Collins right off the floor, and they're going to be forced to put Ed Davis in there. And he's still going to have his way with him, albeit not as as much as he would against Nurkic, but I just I just don't know what Nurkic is capable of doing against Anthony Davis. With that being said, um, some stuff that would not be interesting. I don't like the Pelicans against Russell Westbrook and Paul George just because I'm such a fan of Paul George and he scares the ever-living crap out of me every time I watch him. I, I just think he's the best player on the floor, even with Russell Westbrook. Of course, Russell has the has the stats and, and he's got the flashy highlight plays, but Paul George can just be so dangerous on both ends of the floor. He like Kawhi Leonard, uh, he's just capable of doing so much in every res- respect. His game is so versatile. He can seemingly do whatever he wants. Houston, of course, for revenge purposes, but I don't really like watching Houston, to be quite honest. And Golden State, even without Steph Curry, man, I, I never want to go head-to-head with Kevin Durant. What's your favorite storyline? You just touched on my two uh, favorites. Of course, you got to be up on all the ex-Hornets, Pelicans, wherever, band beloved New Orleans team and kind of said some bad stuff on their way out or just didn't like being here to begin with. So I would love nothing more than to be the Houston Rockets. I'm not a fan of the way James Harden plays basketball. Um, uh, it's just, you know, you either are, or you aren't, and I fall in the aren't category. I don't like how the referees seem to cater to him. Uh, you've got three pairs of eyes on the court. And it seems like at least two of them are always, you know, looking for those ticky tacky fouls, rewarding him when there's obviously other contact going on the floor. So, um, I would love nothing more than to see those guys go home. Of course, CP3, we'd hand him another early exit. So I think that would be the prime, my favorite storyline if it could happen. But number two has got to be the Golden State Warriors where it's payback for three years ago where they completely, you know, broke everybody's spirits. Here's New Orleans coming in as a go-lucky, happy, didn't expect to make playoffs team to got, they get swept out. And uh, suddenly, you know, it's like the Pelicans didn't even get to enjoy the playoff experience, you know, because they never won a game. And then soon after that, Monty Williams was fired. So it wasn't, it didn't, you know, it just didn't seem like a rewarding season. So that would be a great storyline. But other than that, I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing the Spurs, Preston. I like to think of it as to where Pop had his time in the sun for 20 odd years. And, you know, people always made that comparison. Tim Duncan to AD. AD has that same kind of demeanor, same type of, uh, you know, two-way ability. Obviously, they're not the same type of players, but I, early on in AD's career, a lot of people like to compare the two of them. Uh, so I think that would be kind of neat as to where the Pelicans and especially Anthony Davis dismissed the vaunted San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, I, I love every single uh, matchup that you designated. Uh, the Warriors one, I definitely think those those matchups would be really fun because the Warriors are definitely bound to let Anthony Davis score and put up spectacular MVP type numbers. I, I just, I just, I, I don't see any chance, even without Steph Curry, uh, just how electric those guys are in the playoffs, how comfortable and calm and. Ca- 
Kevin Durant wants those moments. I, I remember watching, I think everybody in America probably watched him step up to that three-point line and LeBron James didn't challenge him. And I was screaming at my television, that's his shot, that's his shot. And he let him take it. And Kevin Durant was just so nonchalant about it. He just terrifies me, uh, much in the same way that Paul George does. Um, and watching Steven Adams bully Anthony Davis around would be difficult for me. But I already mentioned that, that I would love to see the Blazers. The Spurs is another really interesting one. I think that's one that the Pelicans could escape. It would take a lot of jockeying through out the final two weeks for that matchup to take place but that would definitely be lamarcus aldridge versus anthony davis uh, and and that could potentially be another one where drew holiday uh has has a really exciting performance that could get a lot of national attention and potentially going forward finally earn him like an all-star nod or a defensive uh all first or second team type nod that could be a matchup that could do it for him uh let's let's move on uh let's get to m Tuman's question uh we've got two more and then i'm gonna wrap this up and he's just mentioning charles cook um he said i watch him play and i can't discern a single nba level skill what am i missing what's your take on charles cook ollie he's a player who you're right that's a very good wise assessment because he does he's not a renowned shooter he's not all world athlete and he's kind of got a reserved personality so those guys tend to not shine uh especially when they come in the league and and you know he's on a two-way contract so He's a fringe NBA player, but, you know, being around him, seeing enough of his footage and seeing him in practice of what he can do, I think there, there, there's talent in that body as to where he could be that kind of an all-around, especially off the bench type, where he could play both ways. I mean, he gets on these streaks pressing in practice. Where I see him knock down six, seven, eight, nine in a row, and he, he looks better out there shooting the ball than in practices, that is, than Miller, Clark, you know, you name it. So I've seen Cook shoot it with the best from there. And then uh, he, he's got, like, a nice shiftiness. He's got, like, just an all-around game. He can dribble a little bit. He can pass a little bit. He's got a little bit of size, length. Like, he's got all of it. He could honestly be – I don't want to compare him to Drew Holiday. Uh, Drew Holiday, honestly, could, is in line for, like, an all-defensive of uh, uh, one of those two uh, NBA teams' uh, selection. But – Again, I see Cook has all those type of abilities. So if he was to somehow max out and live up to it, he could be another one that could just be, I'm not good at particularly one thing, but I'm great at pretty much everything. Like, I have no weaknesses. So that's his ceiling. But again, we're talking about a guy, like I just said, two-way player who's not getting any run with, with our team. And it seemed like during his G League experience, he started off hot. And then he cooled down once the season kind of wound down. Now, maybe he's just tired, you know. Maybe all that back and forth going from um, the Pelicans down the G League's kind of also made him lose a little bit of focus. I mean, I don't want to guess too much, but yeah, I mean, we don't know what we've got in Cook. I mean, I guess that should be the biggest takeaway, right? Until a guy plays, until we see him actually perform against NBA competition, how can you say one way or the other? I think that assessment kind of is what separates you from people like me and from fans on Twitter. It's uh, it, it was really well rounded. It was really detailed. Uh, not to, not to blow up your ego or anything right now, but <laughs> to be quite honest, I've barely seen him play a minute. And whenever he does, it's it's usually against in garbage time type stuff where I'm really only paying half attention. So the fact that you were able to break that down in such such nice detail uh, really speaks well of the information that you're able to hold, or, or maybe you just uh, watch those garbage time minutes a bit closer than the rest of us do, but uh, really nice job because when I read that question, I was like, I don't know what to say here. <laughs> <laughs> so good job by you. A bit of breaking news. Uh, the Rams came to a one-year $14 million agreement with Ndamukong Sue, so he is not coming to New Orleans, which I'm okay with. $14 million is a lot of money. And a uh, really nice moment, Markel Fultz with his first action, I want to say since November. Uh, he entered with 254 in the first quarter, and he got a standing ovation, uh, which like I don't, I don't know. It just it just seems like a really special moment. He seemed super calm about the entire situation, but just just a really nice reaction from the fans there in Philadelphia. And you can see his mom in the crowd uh, videotaping and, and everyone's getting very emotional. Nice to see him back. Of course, he had a turnover on his first ensuing possession, but we don't need to focus on that. We've got one more question, Ali, and then I promise I'm going to let you go. This is from John T. As the season comes to a close and you reflect on the season as a whole, what grade would you give the team, the coaching staff, and the front office? And are you more confident about the direction of the team as opposed to the start of the season? Ooh, that's a big one. Um, I would really like to see how they perform in the playoffs to give an ultimate grade. Simply because that's the stage. You know, as to where three years ago, Monty Williams had directed a team on an upswing, and they kind of just kind of fell flat. 
in the playoffs, so it left that sour taste, and hence he was fired. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, for instance, that, that season we all thought Monty Williams did a pretty good job, and, of course, he fell flat. So then, you know, like I said, he was fired, and everybody kind of understood and was looking forward to a change. What if Gentry, you know, leads our guys to a nice, um, you know, let's say a four or five seat? And then the Pelicans have, you know, a quick exit. Maybe they win a game. I mean, that's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth because of how well they've played, how, you know, the expectations have kind of been built, if you ask me, with this team. Um, they have found a way to win uh, without DeMarcus Cousins, and they've been really riding such a hot streak. So it would be very disappointing. But, all right, enough of me trying to dodge this question. But for right now, person, I would give them, like, a B plus. Um, that is the whole team when I'm counting the players, the coaches. And uh, yeah, front office. Uh, if you want me to break it down even more individually, I mean, I, I really think we should just wait for you know the end of the season. But for right now, I would give the players honestly an A because let's face it, everybody just pounced on this team, made fun of the team. Every national media I wrote talked about how inept this team was around the uh, Marcus and Anthony. Um, but they've been proven so vastly wrong. So for the players, you definitely have to give them an A. And I guess that speaks volumes into the front office and the coaching staff too, right? So. You can't get any, give them anything worse than a B. What about you? I got to say, I am so impressed. Last offseason, I, I was kind of on the get Del, Bem- Del Demps out of town uh, trains. And right. I, <laughs> I have just reversed. I, I wouldn't say 180 degrees, but I have just been so impressed with what he's been able to do this season. Even on the misses, uh, Jameer Nelson obviously was was so crucial in those early weeks. But going into the middle of the season, he really wasn't adding too much. In fact, I think he was taking away uh, minutes from guys like Ian Clark, who are so versatile on both ends of the floor. Not to say that Ian Clark is a, an old-world defender, but he definitely is capable of slowing down guys like Chris Paul, at least getting getting their energy up on both ends of the floor. And 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 Tony Allen, somebody who who had that injury bug, he, he seemed like he could have been a useful player when the Pelicans signed him. But wouldn't you know it, Dell Demps was able to offload these guys and bring in guys who could contribute. And Cech Diallo is looking like a, a good selection. And Mecca Okafer, what a godsend he's been. And he's been quiet the, the past week, but much like Jameer Nelson in the beginning of the season, he was very instrumental in getting some of these wins and, and, and just getting a lot of confidence back in the Pelicans fan base, having somebody to pair next to next to Anthony Davis, who could do a lot of those things that Anthony Davis doesn't like doing much as how Jameer Nelson was paired next to Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday's confidence was waning and you needed somebody who could drive that offense. And Jameer Nelson was able to do that. And these are all moves orchestrated by Dell Demps for John Rondo. That move has paid off. And uh, that one couldn't have been a more divisive decision. Uh, everybody was, uh, you were either on one side, there, there, there was no middle ground. Nobody had a, had a murky opinion when it came to Rajon Rondo last offseason. And it looks like all these moves are paying off. I talked to Jeff Duncan last offseason, and we were in, in very much agreement, as well as Fletcher Mackle, is that Dell Demps was making a lot of moves, but did the moves necessarily make sense, or was he just making moves to potentially make moves? Like DeMarcus Cousins, you've got Alvin Gentry as your head coach. Can he really coexist in that type of system that Gentry wants to run. Obviously he and Anthony Davis pair well spectacularly, but you also have to think of the team as a whole, a team that wants to get up and down the floor. Should you be attacking the boards more and, and everything just, even before DeMarcus Cousins went down, the Pelicans were on that great eight and three run. They had been spectacular in January, played really well. DeMarcus Cousins still is top 10 in uh, rebounding and points scored. I want to say as well as blocks. I think he's, he's up there in several categories but, but just the way the Pelicans have been able to respond to all the public scrutiny, the media, the national uh, the national types trying to get Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins on planes out of town at every possible moment, putting Alvin Gentry on the hot seat. You can't not be impressed with what these guys have been able to do with the amount of pressure that's been on them. Drew Holiday and his $150 million, million contract, I, as well as everybody else I want to say in New Orleans, was very much up in arms against that incentive-laden contract. And while it still is more because you have to judge a deal against a market, not not against what a player was able to do in that in that previous season or ensuing season, at the time, I, I guess the Pelicans were bidding against themselves. But all of these moves, Ali have worked out and you can't not be impressed by that right yeah do you remember uh, us doing a preseason pod with kevin and we were you were you asked us grades for we get yeah it was a grade for dell demps all the moves and i gave that famous kind of rant where I'm, i was like hey you know i think i we had gotten fed up about reading i think the ringer everybody's publishing all these things just totally destroying the roster so 
I remember being kind of mad about something. That was probably it. But yeah, it's great to see that what my gut instinct was. Dale Demps, you, you touched on everything, but it's just impressive to me. He had nothing to work with. That's that's the big takeaway for me. He did not have any cap space. Bringing back Drew Holly was a gamble he had to make. And then, of course, filling out the rest of the roster with uh, exceptions. And it seems like you you said it. He nailed all of them. And when it wasn't working, when when somebody suddenly cooled off like Jameer or uh, Tony Allen, whoever, he he's offloaded them. And now we've got nothing but a productive bench. I mean, I look, and the Pelicans are at least 10 deep now, and I feel comfortable in having a playoff rotation that, that deep uh, in, in about a month's time. I mean, don't you? It's, it's amazing that some teams, like you just mentioned to uh, Stephen, how Portland, it doesn't look like they've got any kind of a bench, and I would totally agree with you. But the Pelicans, you kind of want to see our bench come in because they've been dropping 30, 40 points a game, playing really well, sometimes even inspiring the starters. So... Yeah, it, it's a great time, great time to be excited, but more importantly, give credit where credit is due, huh? And I know we're over that hour threshold, but I, I definitely want to take a moment. Uh, Etwan Moore has been getting a lot of flack on Twitter from people wanting him out of the lineup, inserting someone like uh, uh, Darius Miller or Solomon Hill back into his usual starting role. And I just want to take this moment and to praise the heck out of him. I know a lot of people say that he's a zero defensively, can't fight over screens. Uh, his shot has not been falling the way that it did in December, although in December he was putting up historic numbers, so how could it possibly? He's still in the top 10 of three-point shooting at 43%, and all this guy has done has been available every single game this year. He started 37 out of 74 potential games out of position. He's been asked to do something he's not comfortable, not only guarding bigger wings night in night out without a single complaint he's been starting this is a guy who likes relishes coming off the bench relishes that utility scorer type role that that ian clark that spot up that guy with uh, i love the runners i love the way that he finishes at the rim it's something that i wish he would do more often and be more aggressive he's scoring over 10 points per game 50 percent from the field on the season this guy has done everything the coaching staff has asked him to do. And to see the way that the fan base has, has kind of uh, been up in arms against him. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I could be not, I could not be more thrilled to have Etwan Moore at the numbers that we have him uh, at, as such a reliable player, such a great shooter that the Pelicans desperately needed heading into the season alongside Darius Miller. I, I think he's had a great and successful season. What about you? Uh, I, I completely agree with you. The reason I was kind of harder on more early in the season, because too many people are saying this guy's a legit um, player for the starting line. This guy deserves 30 plus minutes. And that was my whole argument in the beginning of the season. No, he's not. Because he isn't that all round player who can play against, and especially in today's basketball game where you, you're going to be matched up against so many different types of players after switches. And for each one, he was stuck at the three, as you just mentioned. So he was almost always involved in the match, but this is what I want to get out. Moore is playing more minutes than he has ever in his career, started more games in a season than he ever has. And since the All-Star break, guess who has the second best plus minus on the team? Yeah, it's Etuan Moore, buddy. He's only 0.2 points behind Anthony Davis. He's, and both of those guys are pretty far well ahead of Drew Holiday and uh, Rajon Rondo, who are tied for third. So, yeah, I mean, what else can you say about Etuan Moore? He's, he's been so much more than just that spot-up three-point shooter. Hope hope he shoots enough. Hopefully he's aggressive enough. No, he's been making those drives around. He has not given up defense. So, you know, today on Eric Asher's show, I was asked about Etuan Moore, and I simply said, you know what? Etuan Moore's gotten burned, but the best part about him, he'll get burned three or four straight times, but guess what? He's still going to come back with that tenacity, that effort, that no-quit attitude that this team is – that's what they've thrived on, I feel like. Everybody has exemplified it and shown it. And if we would have just had one weak link, like say it would have been Etuan Moore, then all of a sudden it's it's like that, you know, a leak in a dam, so to speak, like Hoover Dam. No, Etuan has just, you know, he's taken a beating physically, mentally. He knows he's going up against uh, more talented, more athletic players, but he never quits. And you're right, Preston, he deserves some love. I don't know why towards the end of the season now people are suddenly, you know, basically, you know, I don't want to say pissing on him, but that's what it feels like. You're right. Some of these comments have just been really uncalled for. Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement. Uh, and last year, just available for 75 games out of 82. I can't even remember why he missed the ones that he missed. This year, he has not missed a single contest. He has started every game he's been asked to, to start. I can't even believe he's only started 37 games. Uh, that can't be right, but I already turned out the other statistic. If you guys can just hang with me for one second. 
never mind. It says he started all 74. I was looking at home versus road. So, yep, can't say enough for him. All right, we've been droning on. This this was <laughs> fun, my friend. Uh, I, I miss having Kevin on here, but it's nice to, to have a back-and-forth discussion uh, to be able to to cover points and, and to be able to expand on topics. So this, this was a good time, um, but we will have Kevin back, I think, probably on – Thursday night, I'll probably do a Cavs preview. Uh, but um, all right, you guys, remember to rate our podcast by searching us on your podcast app or on iTunes. It takes just 30 seconds. And if you're still listening, you must be absolutely obsessed with us. So why not bring yourself over to iTunes? It really helps us. We got our first sponsorship offer about a month ago, but it was in an email that I don't regularly check. So I missed the window. <laughs> oh, but, Kristen! Uh, I know. <laughs> but you guys' dedication to the podcast, uh, it is really very helpful and being able to to utilize opportunities like that. Hopefully I won't miss the next one. I'm Preston Ellis. We'll likely be back uh, on Friday morning previewing the Cavs with Chris Manning of Locked on Cavaliers. And hopefully we'll have some time with Ali and Kevin sprinkled in there somewhere as well. Before I let you go, Ali, you mentioned an article that you're going to be working on minutes played heading into the playoffs. Is there anything else you'd like our fans to know about you before we head out of here? I actually want to give you some more props. Just as Stephen highlighted the Ian Clark article, I want to highlight what you said about Gail Benson and the stability of the New Orleans Pelicans. You wrote about it, what was it, like three or four days ago, and guess what Gail said today? She is not moving or trading or selling. I can't believe I just said trading, but anyway, <laughs> selling either the Saints or the Pelicans. You know, we had always kind of felt that, and you wrote a great article about it, and boom, here it is. You were 100% right, so good on you, brother. Oh, thanks, man. That means a lot. And it was really nice to get a compliment from Steve, too. But you never know, Ollie. Maybe uh, I, I don't know what kind of stuff that uh, she's into. Maybe she really values theater. She does, I, I know, really value theater. She's really big in the arts in New Orleans. Maybe if somebody offers her Lincoln Center for the New Orleans Pelicans, maybe it's an offer too good to pass up. Who knows? Uh, but yes, it was it was very nice to hear that she is my, in my town. Orlando right now. I wish we could get a cup of coffee and talk about things, but uh, she's probably far too busy. Um, it was nice hearing her talk. I don't know that I've ever heard her um, in a public style interview like that, uh, probably since the Hornets changed their names to the Pelicans. Is that the first interview you've seen of her in quite some time? I've seen her because, you know, I live here in New Orleans and I catch a lot of the local news. She's done stuff in an, you know, here every so often. Like I remember her being with Fletcher. Um, and, and this was, I think, around the time, about a year after the naming rights. But anyways, one of the things was he was just simply asking her, I know you weren't a big sports fan before, but uh, it seems like you really taken to it after, especially me with Tom Benson. She's like, absolutely. She's like, she's hooked. She literally said the words, I'm hooked. So I don't know. I've seen nothing but stuff like that that made me believe in your article. And I, I already had that in my mind where, you know, everything was going to be fine. It was a trust. It was left to Gale. Um, there was no way that this this was all going to fall apart simply because a guy who was already 90, 90 years old uh, suddenly passed away. No, got, you don't get rich. You're not a billionaire if you don't plan and make the right decisions in life. So, yeah, we're finally not, now, now living some of that, Preston. We're finally seeing that, indeed, there's nothing to worry about. Yeah, it's it's a really great feel good story. Uh, she seems like she's going to do a terrific job. She's got support from everybody, and more so than that, something that Jamel McMillan always uh, preaches is continuity, and that's exactly what the Pelicans and the Saints front office has right now. Because when you do have a new owner who steps into a, a an owner's box for the first time, of course they always want to make those splashy moves. They want to bring in the the big named head coach, the general manager. They want to pick their guys. They they want to bring in the the, the five star level athletes who are bound to draw uh, a lot of attention and Gail's not worried about that kind of stuff it's just business as usual with the people that she trusts with the guys in her front office who have been doing a great job the previous 20 years I'm not even sure how long Dennis Lausch has been there but the the Saints and the Pelicans in my opinion could not be in better hands right now um all right Ollie I think we're like at the hour and 10 minute threshold like I said this has been really fun so I'm gonna wrap it up are you good let's go all right you guys let's go pals You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today.
Don't miss Old Navy's Saturday Steal. This Saturday, all jeans are on sale for 50% off. Plus, get $3 kids deals like graphic tees and tanks and $7 girls dresses. Saturday only at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Validate 3 excludes in-store clearance. Select styles on kids deals and girls dresses. Technology Truths. Brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at Geico.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.